0: good day everybody and welcome to the vittles and vitals podcast where we talk about important stuff and how that stuff connects to food because everything connects to food i'm jay reed i'm
1: the father and i'm jacob reed i'm the son and we're your hosts so we have been asking on the last couple of episodes for just some general topic ideas you know 'Cause as much as much brain power as our think tank has, you know, sometimes we just also need a little bit of help sometimes. And we got a voicemail from one of our dedicated listeners. Didn't even know you could do that. <laughs> I apparently thanks shout out to our hosting platform, Anchor.fm. That's right. Sponsor us for help with that. So in just a second, we're gonna head over to the studio and listen to that voicemail.
0: Here it goes. Hey, just wanted to say this is Mike Reed, your podcast on Christmas. Great. Love listening to you guys. So here's an idea for you. Something that's near and dear to my heart and stomach. Donuts. The history, all that sort of thing. Don't know if it'd make a good podcast, but hey, worth a try. And again, keep it up. I love listening to y'all. Great idea and love the podcast. So thanks a bunch to Mike for doing that for us and just to let everybody know Mike is my first cousin. I actually am cousins to two Michael Reeds uh, but this is my Mike Mike oh, is my are. first cousin and known him for a long long time and uh actually well, he and I have eaten donuts together
1: you uh, one might say you have broken donuts together <laughs> we
0: have broken donuts together we broke a lot of donuts together among other other foods but In any case, Mike really needs to be here because he could tell us a lot of things about donuts. In Mm -hmm. fact, he steered me, and we'll talk a little bit about this later, whether whether the shape of a donut is important to the definition. But one of the things he led me to was a beignet, and uh, I'll just throw this out now. Uh, He had posted a picture. His daughter was in school in Louisiana Tech. It was just in Ruston, Louisiana, and he and had found this place, this coffee shop, and oh I should have looked it up. But uh, they had a Nutella filled beignet. And so that
1: sounds absolutely heavenly. But then, you know, there's the whole discussion, is a beignet a donut?
0: Yeah, we'll get to that shortly. So but it was <laughs> whether or not whether or not it is, it was amazing. I was And this. I was with my friend Spence Sullivan when coming back from the Texas State Fair when we stopped at this coffee shop. Of course. And they had, they introduced me to Bulletproof Coffee, so I had Bulletproof Coffee, and... There you go.
1: The, Hit yourself with that kind of protein-filled coffee <laughs> and, drink, and then and follow the Nutella-filled in, fill it with a chaser of Nutella-filled
0: donut. It was pretty awesome. So anyway, Mike has been uh, sort of a uh, a companion, even though we haven't been together and helping me eat,
1: eat more stuff like that. So as we've considered this, we're like, okay, the donut is a great idea. And you know, it's a cultural icon, it's throughout culture absolutely in so many ways but but what
0: you know what about the other topic what about the other side the
1: vital part what
0: where would we go with that and of course as i said donuts we kind of think of donuts
1: as round with a circle Mm -hmm. in it so that let me think well what about the wheel you know this is a direction that i would not expect this to go Until you told me that we were going to do that, and honestly, the wheel is a lot more interesting than I thought it was going to be.
0: And and not just interesting, but the the whole point of our our podcast, not the whole point, but the point of the word vitals is that it's something important, Mm -hmm. and I think we can agree that this is
1: a wheel-important topic. Oh, see, now this is the (laughs) moments that I want to leave this podcast, because you start things with... Wheel important. (laughs) Well,
0: uh, and you are the editor, so I realize that that's the kind of thing that could leave it. No, that joke's staying. But just kind of imagine life without the wheel. You know, we're going to talk some about where it came from in Mm -hmm. in the start of it, but, you know, I've had you mow the grass before. Can you imagine cutting grass without a wheeled instrument? I don't know if you could.
1: I think we would all
0: live in forests now if we didn't have wheeled
1: lawnmowers. We probably would as well. I. You saying that actually leads me to the thing cuz on your bookshelf right now is a book called Hubert invents the wheel. Get out. Yes it is. On my bookshelf? On your bookshelf. You actually gave it to me to read. <laughs> a hot dog. It's like signed by the signed by the author and everything, but it's about oh, yeah. this kid Should have read that before
0: we did this. <laughs> yeah, about this
1: kid growing up in Mesopotamia, which we will discuss okay. more in depth, but he invents the wheel because his dad owns a sled business. Oh, great. And they're, okay. like, doing business, and he's like, there has to be a better way to do this. I'm going to create The wheel." and there's some reason around it. But it's talking – it's it's complete fiction. It's a comedy book, but it talks but about – based
0: on a true story, Based perhaps. on a true story. I mean, at least a true story of the country.
1: Yeah, but basically he dives into that, and it gets really crazy because, like, they start developing traffic laws and stuff, and it's all really funny. <laughs> but it's a really funny book.
0: So shout out to Hubert. So – I guess we'll just kind of exchange fun facts that we've learned because obviously it's important. Um, the The thing that I found first that I thought was most interesting is that the wheel is something that's not found naturally in nature. Mm-hmm. There may be round things, There's like little tumbleweeds that roll and
1: stuff like that. Did but you see the one about the dung beetle? That I see some the people dung, thought that it could beetle. be the inspiration came from the dung beetle because they form a ball of dung. Right, roll it places.
0: Right. So it there are some things that roll. Like I'm sure that i know there's it could it could have been aliens but when they built the pyramids i'm sure those blocks maybe you know were rolled on logs or something similar to that but mm-hmm. that's still not a wheel
1: that's just not a, a wheel that's just a log. i think you and i read the same article could be in arts different research but the article i was reading was talking about how it was kind of interesting that the wheel hadn't took so long in history yeah, to yeah, be yeah. invented and it started breaking down like the the science of the wheel because it's whether it like it needed carpentry
0: and it needed mm-hmm. tools and it needed other but like, the, the metal. science
1: behind it, you had to figure out a way to create something that could roll on freely on an axle mm-hmm. or an axis in mm-hmm. that point. And the science in that is a lot more complicated than making a round thing and slapping it on like right. you have to find a way oh, yeah. for it to stay on and it has
0: to roll. Yeah, it has to yeah, exactly. So that does uh, create some interesting mm-hmm. reading. So the first wheel, Probably Mesopotamia, maybe mm. Hubert uh, around 3500 BC, but not for transportation. It was actually used more probably as a potter's wheel. Mm-hmm. I did see that. And then as you move along somewhere like between the sixth and fourth centuries BC in Greece, that's when the wheelbarrow came. And I was, uh, did you see that one? Is that one that uh, came up in yours?
1: Uh, yeah, I did see that. It was the 600 to 400 BCE. Um, another thing. Because it's kind of debated across historical lines about where the wheel truly came from. Because right. it seems like it was kind of invented independently in different places. But one place that I saw that you did not- Because there was no Instagram. There was no Instagram at the time. But there is a woman, and her name is, I believe, Skoparlapola, I think is her name. She's an Indianologist. That's definitely a different article than i got. Yeah, Indianologist at the University of Helsinki in Finland. Helsinki. 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 There was Olympics um, there once. Oh, okay. You probably weren't old enough to know it. So. Definitely not. But she suggests that the wheel originated with the Triopoli people of the modern-day Ukraine. This is based on the fact that the word "wheel" is actually derived from their language. Well, that
0: could be. I did see something about that sort of Nordic area mm-hmm. as a possibility. Even more, as the more things pop up in that area, the more they're thinking maybe it developed there. Yeah. As well, but I'm I want to go back to the wheelbarrow because if you can again imagine the the difference. Here's another reason reason why the wheel is vital. Just imagine the difference in your workload. One yeah. day you're hauling rocks from the quarry to the palace. Mm-hmm. You pick up a load. You maybe you have a sack. Maybe you you know a little basket on the back, some, a basket. But you're doing it by hand, back and forth, back and forth. Can you imagine what the wheelbarrow would Increase. make a difference, and how big of a difference that would make?
1: Yeah, I mean, any. I feel like most of our listeners have used a wheelbarrow once in their life. Sure. And it, you can carry a lot more. And you know, sometimes it's a little unwieldy. But if you weigh it down correctly, you can move a significant portion more than you could do by just bare hands. Right,
0: and that's the 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 point that was made in the article I read said that it, even though they may have cost something, that the amount of work you would get out of it would more than pay for it within just a few days yeah, or a few no, trips. Sure. So crazy, crazy important there. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, did I you did see the re- one about Mexico? I did not. Okay, so in Veracruz, Mexico, archaeologists found little s- ceramic toys of animals, but instead of feet, they had little wheels attached to them. I did see that. Because yeah. we definitely did read the same article. But <laughs> the the Mexican people did not use it for transportation until the European settlers came. So that's really interesting to me oh. that they would slap it on for toys, Yeah, but they wouldn't use it for transportation.
0: The thing about toys is you you may remember this from Yemen, but... You know, you see this in movies, but we saw it firsthand where you would just see kids up and down the street with a wheel and a stick. Mm -hmm. And that was enough. That was a toy. It would just, you know, kind of beat the stick to keep the the wheel going. Mm -hmm. And then we have, I think, a truck made out of a gee can, like the metal from a gee can. They cut it up and made a truck out of it. So it's got wheels, too, which is not as, you know, Mm -hmm. not as important. But uh, (laughs) this was kind of funny, too. One of the part of this article said that the camel in the Middle East uh, between the 2nd and 6th centuries, that the camel supplanted the wheel as Mm. the mode of transportation. And they gave some reasons for it because the camel uh, saddle was developed and all this. They didn't abandon the wheel. They used it for other things. But my thinking was, okay, when you think about moving something through the desert, have you ever tried to move a a wheelbarrow through the desert or through sand?
1: i Cannot say. I've been in the sand. I've driven on roads next to sand, but I don't know uh-huh. if I've ever.
0: And I mean, been even innocent. driving. I mean, I'm I'm talking about a wheelbarrow, but to to drive a car mm-hmm. through sand without yeah. the right, you know, tires or whatever can mm-hmm. be a hot mess. I mean, you can be in in.
1: Yeah, I remember when in the we weeds pretty quick. Uh, when I was in Dubai for summer. They took us one of those like desert safari things, uh-huh. where you know you would load up in somebody's nice Land Cruiser, and they drive you out to the. We've
0: probably had proper stuff to get the through. really
1: interesting part was is when you got there they would release some of the air out of the tire yeah. to increase the surface area exactly even at that moment we're slipping and sliding all over the place because if <laughs> that man did not know what he was doing we were going to have some serious issues yeah, so i, I can't imagine that was doing that in
0: yeah. early, early life so the first uh, patent for a wheel was somewhere in august of 1791 james mccomb princeton new jersey and it was a water wheel mm-hmm. uh to create you know like the water power for a mill um, but then i'm going to jump a little bit this is really funny in 2001 in australia i don't know if you saw this i don't know if i did a guy named john keogh i don't know how to say k-e-o-g-h he's a patent lawyer in australia and apparently australia had kind of loosened up their patent laws they wanted to make it easier for people to to get patents so, in May 2001, he submitted a patent application for a circular transportation facilitation device.
1: Did this circular, man
0: take a patent out on the wheel? Circular transportation. No, he no, he did not. He took it out on a circular transportation facilitation device, and he got it. Oh, my God. And
1: his point was, it's too easy. Yeah. And he kind of made his point. Wow. <laughs> I, I want to know if true. they let him keep that patent, or they just kind of... Let that one slip under the... Who knows, but they said, the article said that he got it, so... That is crazy. So, we've kind of talked about the past of the wheel. I actually found something about the future of wheels. Ooh. All right, so, I don't know if we have ever... We've never owned a golf cart, but no, no. <laughs> you know how on new wheelbarrows and lawn mowers and stuff like that... They have these things, you know, the the airless tires, you know, mm-hmm. never get a flat with your tire and right. stuff. Well, people are working on developing that for consumer cars. Yeah, what would that mean? A solid rubber? That's what I'm about to get into. So as of the moment, the airless tires come in two forms. Mm-hmm. You have the ones for small vehicles, so like golf carts, lawnmower, stuff like that. And that's pretty much like a, a thick thick rubber, mm. pretty much exclusively that. That would be gosh awful to ride on any sort of right. payment. for a long or, yeah for sure. Or it also comes in super large machinery where if you lose a tire, it could be catastrophic. Or in situations like demo, a lot of demolition vehicles have solid tires. Okay. Because... Like in a demolition derby? No, like... Uh, like we're tearing. That's down, really fun. Like we're tearing down a like we're tearing down a building kind of okay, situation. Okay, I gotcha, I got, you, I got you. Because you're at high risk for punctures in that. Okay, situation. Okay, sure, sure. But you're not driving anywhere with it because most of the time you're loading that on a truck and you're only using it around the work site, which is gonna be a bumpy ride. Anyway. Gotcha. Uh, so two companies are really be a bumpy ride. Yeah. So two companies are currently working really, really hard at that. Uh, Michelin, which is the French tire company that has the uh, Kind of stay. Restaurant reviews. Yeah, the stay. Is it? Is it? How do you say it? Michelin. Michelin. Michelin, which has like the Stay Puff tire guy, and then also Bridgestone. (laughs) Stay Puff marshmallow man, the
0: Michelin man, but they are very. I know, I know, I, I, I know.
1: But and also Bridgestone. So what's interesting about these tires is that you've probably seen them like vaguely in like the corner of the internet and something like that. Uh, but they like have a they have like a ring of rubber, and then they also have like these polymers in a certain, like, almost 3D printed mm-hmm. in a in a certain pattern. Like a matrix. Kind of like a matrix, but it's just like a support lattice situation that is structurally sound but is allowed a little bit of flexibility. Huh. So the the picture that I saw was like a tire by itself on a road. It was like a slight depression, and then it ran over a rock and had a deeper p- compression.
0: Huh. And a lot of
1: this is because of technology because we have better polymers now and also better... Um, 3d printing Mm -hmm. aspects yeah so they're saying that we're probably about another five to ten years out from a a consumer model just because it's so difficult because you're not you have to have the right amount of flex so it's a smooth ride but you can't have too much flex because otherwise you're going to have your axle on the ground so it's a really confusing thing Mm -hmm. they're working on but we are we are probably pretty closer than we think to never needing to buy tires again because These tires last astronomically longer than an air-filled tire. They were talking about, like, one of these days, we won't need spares anymore because our tires will be able to handle it. Hmm. And you just buy a new tire and go for another, like, 10 years. Well, that would be awesome. Mm -hmm. I wonder how much they'll cost. More than you want to know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, the only other thing I had about wheels was the Ferris wheel. And I know it's, (laughs) you know, the, the big Ferris wheel... Um, the, or the first one, supposedly, um, built by George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. at the Chicago World Fair in 1893. Basically, he wanted to outdo the Eiffel Tower, which was about four years before that. That's uh, fair. 250 feet in diameter, capable of carrying 2,160 people per trip. 2,000? That's what he said. And that's what, that's what the Smithsonian Magazine Smithsonian Magazine, The Smithsonian? Said. Yep. Uh, isn't that like the Smithsonian, but without the tunnels? That's right. So... What I thought was interesting and vital about that, not so much that, you know, there was a big old giant Ferris wheel, but think about London now. Mm -hmm. When you see pictures of the London skyline... You see the London Eye. The London Eye. I believe it's the Coca-Cola London Eye. I'm not sure. I think it's got a sponsor. Did it get I did see that somewhere. But, you know, that is it's sort of the modern uh, landmark Mm -hmm. in London now. It used to be Big Ben and, you know, all the other... um, You know buildings in London Mm. that you would know, but now when you
1: see that, and it's been in movies and it's huge. Because I've ridden it. Have you? you I have not. I've when I went to London, my I guess senior year of high school. Oh, when you okay, I remember. Yeah, yeah, we got we rode the London Eye, and it's. I mean, it's you get like twenty something people in one of those little cars. Yeah, big cars. Mm -hmm. Apparently, you can rent one of them. I've heard that because I saw a guy propose to a girl at like the very top of the London Eye. It was really cool. That sounds
0: funny. Well, you we can have a. No, never mind. Uh, I'm not going to go there. So, anyway, we use wheels every day, whether it be cars, mowers, Ferris mm-hmm. wheels. You know NASCAR. You know, no wheels, no NASCAR. That would be hey. that would be tragic. Uh, and I'm, I'm serious. I'm saying that tongue to in cheek, but I would. It would be tragic if we didn't have a NASCAR. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So we. I think we've talked enough about wheels. Let's get into the fun stuff. We're done wheeling and dealing. We are, yeah. So on to
1: the donut, and it doesn't matter how you spell it. Uh, did you see that too? Because like donut, d o u g h nut is a proper spelling, but also d o n u t is a proper yeah, spelling. Yeah, I think they. What I read was that the the d o n u
0: t was more of an American mm-hmm. Americanized spelling, and uh, I'll get. I'm going to talk about a book later. That kind of explains one possible reason for that. Mm. So, anyway, so definition of the donut. Did you come across any definitions? Not really. <laughs> so, <laughs> the definition I found, you know, just by typing in definition of donut into okay. my phone. A uh, small fried cake of sweetened dough, typically in the shape of a ball or a ring. A ball. A ball like a donut hole. Oh, like a donut or hole. Or like a stuffed... Like a cream-filled. I always forget about the cream-filled donuts. See, they don't, those don't have holes in them.
1: Well, they don't have the holes. Like. You can get cream-filled with holes, though. It's a wild time. Now, those are available at
0: Krispy Kreme. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. We had yeah. one the other day. I yeah, forgot about that. I, I have a, well, we have broken donuts together. We have broken donuts together often. So,
1: history of the donut. What, what did you find out? Uh, so, I went to the good old Schmishonian, or whatever you called course, it, website yep. on that. So, I feel like we're going to be talking about a lot That's of this. We're literally on the same page. We are literally on the same page. But I saw that, kind of considered one of the first people to do it. So, we, I don't know if you're going to go with this one, but the Dutch mm-hmm. have something called, I'm going to butcher this as well, Oliekoeks is. Uh, that's, that sounds pretty Dutch. Yeah, so it means oily cakes. Right. It's uh I'm guessing it's a fried I didn't really find anything about what it was. I think yeah, it's, it's like, it's like just a fried a fried cake. dough, yeah. Um but the first name that I saw attached to this was Miss Elizabeth Gregory, who was a New England ship's captain's mother who made a as they describe it, a wicked deep fried dough. Wicked. 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 A wicked deep... See, that I don't get... I think wicked... I th- I think you could use that as wicked, but... <laughs> what does it mean, though? What I does don't... wicked mean? I don't know, but what is... Why would wicked be used in this situation? Because she was in New England,
0: and that's what the people in Boston say.
1: Dude, out... that donut was totally wicked! Exactly.
0: Shout out to Solomon.
1: Oh, oh gosh. So, but basically, she made a deep-fried dough that used her son's spice cargo of nutmeg cinnamon along with a little bit of lemon rind right so what
0: the the background to that was the guy who um the the son his name was hanson gregory i believe i have it written down somewhere but i just see captain gregory yeah and he he was on a ship and they had the fried cakes there because it made them last longer Mm -hmm. Uh, it just gave us some stability but they would not get fully cooked in the center so Mm -hmm. he proposed he took like a a pepper tin or something, yeah, cut a round in the tin middle. pepper box, right? And it cut the hole out, and then later, um, Mrs. Gregory put a hazelnut or a walnut in the center of the dough just to kind of make the hole, okay? So it would cook around that,
1: and so who knows if that is the dough nut? Oh, the nut in the I seat. didn't see that. Yeah. I did see that there is a legend that while they were in a storm he skewered one of his mother's donuts onto the spoke of his ship's wheel. So that's where that's one of the legends that where he that oh, where the hole came legend. from where he just says it was the pepper box. <laughs> but donuts didn't really take off in the United States until good old World War 1 where oogles, I would say oogles, oogles of donuts were given to the as they say, the homesick, homesick American doughboys. Yeah. So when they, they were, were in the, the trenches. They were in the trenches of France, and they were homesick. So they gave them a little touch of home in the
0: form of a donut. Yeah. These women volunteers. I even read maybe Salvation Army was involved in that, um, just to kind of encourage the soldiers. And so when they came back, they were they were ready for donuts on this side of the pond. Mm-hmm. Did you learn
1: anything interesting about the first donut machine?
0: Donut machine 1920, New York City, Adolph Levitt, uh, a refugee from Russia began selling fried donuts from his bakery. Uh, and he I don't know this I didn't see a name but apparently people just stood and watched and you know stood in line and just kind of like now if you go to Krispy Kreme and you can kind of watch the mm-hmm. the process as it goes by in some other
1: places I've seen they were so, called yeah. the food hit of the century of progress.
0: And the thing what's the shock to me because we're talking about 1920s around that and the 1930s is when the depression came along, right? So but it said that these machines that he came up with were earning him 25 million dollars a year. I know
1: that is Can really you imagine insane. what 25 million dollars in
0: this 1920s is, money? Mm-hmm. Would and this be? is
1: also a refugee. At least 26 million. So looking at this and kind of we've talked about how you know, with Halloween and Thanksgiving, like it's a lot of things that bring people of different cultures together. Mm. And this just came to me. But it seems like the donut is a really good example of that because it's based off a Dutch food. Mm. It was, I don't know who the Gregory's were, but I'm assuming like English, American, English, English people, you know, they're putting holes in it. This guy from Russia is creating an automatic machine. The guys who created Krispy Kreme were in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So it's just like it seems like a really unique hodgepodge of people that are coming together to bring this food that is beloved by millions and millions of people.
0: Yeah, and the, the crispy, I'll add to that. The Krispy Kreme recipe was from a Frenchman from New Orleans named Joe LeBeau who took his recipe from New Orleans to Paducah, Kentucky.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then I guess he even had the name and sold it to a guy named Ishmael Armstrong. So I'm going to guess was Jewish. Yeah. Um, so you've got all this. Yeah. Like you said, all kinds of things going. And then and then uh, Vernon Rudolph, who is the nephew of Ishmael Armstrong, he and a couple of friends ended up in Winston-Salem. And that's when they started uh, the Krispy Kreme from there. They started delivering them. And then started opening stores, and of course, you know, we all know the Hot Donuts now
1: sign. <sighs> what which... a holy time that is when that that little red sign. <laughs> donut holy. No, oh, donut holy. I mean, that is that's an experience every college student in Starkville has had, because it's kind of a thing, you know, randomly at like nine thirty. It's like, man, Krispy Kreme closes is like an hour and a half. It's a thirty minute drive. Want to go to Krispy Kreme? <laughs> and for some reason, that red sign is always on when i'm there
0: yeah it, it's off it's on a lot because i work in columbus and actually work in uh this is kind of unique too i work in a pharmacy which is in a convenience store and instead of fried chicken and hot lunches and all that we have the donut factory so i have mm. ready access to donuts uh at least once a week which is kind of dangerous uh, but you know yeah, still it is thing. what it is yeah so the Let's see, this say in the late 50s, Krispy Kreme started growing. They had this Ring King uh, machine set, pushing out 75 dozen donuts an hour. Uh, then the, you know, the machines got better from there. And uh, it was just now the new machines, they say, make 800 dozen an hour. It's, wow. It's nuts. So let's uh, what about, uh, well, there's a, another good stat. In the United States, about 10 billion donuts are made every year. And only
1: 1.1 billion of those are made by Krispy Kreme, so that's a lot of. Mm-hmm. Lot the world's of largest donut was 1.7 tons, which is about the size of a small elephant. Oh my gosh! That's a big donut. That's a dense one. Also, this is a one that I thought was really funny. Talking about you know donuts being kind of a cultural across-the-board food, in France, the airy fried dough fritters were called pets de non, which means nun farts. So okay. that's what they called their version of the donut, was a get, nun fart. You're going to get us kicked out of your grandmother's uh, <laughs> listening. I mean, that is literally, <laughs> I mean, it, it, it is the French, so you know.
0: Right, so let's talk about some of our favorite donut memories. And I do want to, I did promise to say this, so before we jump into that. Personally, I think donut is what you make of it. You know, mm-hmm. it could be a ring, it could be, because if you look like, you know, beignets or fried dough, you have fried dough of some sort in many many cultures, mm-hmm. so you know call it what you want. But I think what we visualize is a, is a round thing mm-hmm. with a hole in it. Usually, That's or just a you know, field, yeah. But if you like Midtown Donuts in Hattiesburg, theirs are most of theirs are square. Mm-hmm. Still have a hole, but they're square, uh, which probably just saves dough. Yeah, um, and then you get
1: beignets.
0: Yeah, and and you the part of the definition was also sweet, but. In some of your more gourmet donut shops. I know there's savory flavors and, mm. you know, different shapes and so, so I I think we know we're not gonna get too tight on the definition.
1: I mean I feel like if you have a, a fried dough, I feel like that's a pretty safe like yeah. maybe you maybe you could reason that it would be considered a donut. So. Yeah. so what about donut memories or some of your favorite ones? All right, so the the three that come to mind is the first is um, my last day as an intern at a church that I worked at. We went to Gibson Donuts, which is an, it's like a small donut like local place in Memphis, mm-hmm. Really really well known. Had some killer blueberry cake donuts, which mm-hmm. was nice, which is one of my personal right favorite yeah. donuts across the board. Funny thing I heard about that is that the guy who owned the donut shop had a deal with his dentist that the dentist got free donuts. In exchange for free dentistry, Which so both were probably needed. Yeah, so the the whole dentist family could just come in whenever and like just get a free box of donuts whenever they wanted.
0: Cool. So I'm going to jump in with a blueberry story too, and then you can go on. We were in Dubai, or I was in Dubai. I don't know if if y'all were with me or not, um, but uh, I remember finding a Dunkin' Donuts. In one of the big malls there, mm-hmm. and and it, who knows how long it had been since I'd had one, and uh, they had a blueberry cake. Oh, that's, so Lord that is a very on you, very special. Yeah, so
1: there's a lot of Tim Hortons in Dubai. That's just a really random fact for you. I didn't know that. They're super popular in Dubai, huh. so I've never been to a Tim Hortons besides Dubai. I, well, I haven't either. Well, I haven't been to one ever. But uh, also
0: in Dubai there was pretty good um, donuts um yeah it was listed in one of the top 10 in one of the one mm-hmm. of the stories i read so dubai has a crispy cream mm-hmm. as well which I, or maybe it's in sharjah but i remember being at a meeting there and, and going to crispy cream a few times i'm sure and then i was in uh kuwait one time okay also found a crispy cream there which i thought originally i thought you know Krispy cream in kuwait Dunkin' in dubai uh, uh, yeah, No, always got to find it because
1: but anyway go ahead uh, and then a second one was my first time to buy a suit, which I got for, or I didn't buy the suit. You bought the suit for me. <laughs> I'll think but it that, was there. <laughs> yeah. That, but that was a fun trip. We went up to Tupelo and, you know, cause we went to the reeds where had the suits there, but we also got to eat at Connie's fried chicken, but they have-
0: Blueberry Blueberry donuts. cake donuts. Actually, are, they're not cake. They're not? They're fried. Well,
1: they're Well, I guess cake or maybe not, fried, too, but... But they're light and airy. They're, they're more... And the, they're smaller, uh, too. There's, like, smaller donuts, but they're very, very good. And, and they, what
0: else did we have? Or was that when me and Mom went?
1: I've been, I've had it separately from you.
0: Okay, so one time uh, my wife and I went, did the same thing, had the Connie's blueberry in the morning. And then for lunch or late lunch, we went to... Uh, Blue Canoe, mm-hmm. who have Connie's Blueberry Donut Bread Pudding. Mm-hmm. So we had a double dose of Connie's that day, and it was
1: extremely worth it. It's delicious. And my final one is I did a Go Ruck Challenge, which is kind of a it's a whole thing. DM us if you have any which more. Which also brings us back to Mike. Yes, because I did it with Mike. <laughs> Cousin Mike. But we went to some. I couldn't tell you the district don- donuts. District donuts, and I don't. I think we had a blue or a peanut butter and jelly. We had a lot of different donuts. that We day. had the uh, Monte Cristo. The Monte Cristo. That was really good. But you know, it's one of those hipster gourmet donut places, mm-hmm. and it was phenomenal. It's very good. What it about you? Very good. Well,
0: besides what I've also mentioned, I just remember as a child, and I tried to find out from my mother exactly where these donuts came from, and we couldn't really remember. But I think it came from a local bakery, maybe Kelly's Bakery here. Mm-hmm. But I just remember having a combination. Whenever my dad brought us donuts, he would also have, we would also have chocolate milk. So it was mm. like this combo of chocolate
1: milk and donuts that's kind of Do stuck with that me combo. through the years. That's and, my Krispy Kreme combo. Okay, I get the chocolate milk with my Krispy Kreme donuts. There you go. So
0: and of course, if you if you are one who believes that a beignet is a donut, then Cafe Du Monde. Uh, that was a great experience. experience when I went my first time. Yeah, and as I already mentioned, uh, from this little cafe in in Ruston, Louisiana. And if you want to know what it is, uh, shout out DM me or something, and I'll I'll find out what that is. But uh, the Nutella filled beignet was pretty awesome there. So I don't know. I I I have made some runs in the past. You and I, I think we've already mentioned on New Year's morning. We stopped at Krispy Kreme on the way out. We did do that. Um,
1: so, I mean, I'm and not. We had the donut burger together a couple oh, times. Oh, yeah. That's a whole other episode. That's, a whole,
0: that's, a, that's an episode <laughs> in and of itself. Donut burger at, at State Fair. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's it's there's just so much we could say about donuts, but I think we've kind of covered the history there. All right, so it's time for Flavorites, and I'm going to stay with the theme. Go for it. I realized after doing all my research today, or through this the past week or so, that I actually have a book called Donuts. And mm. the book is written by John T. Edge, and John John T. is a friend. He's the— uh, Isn't he the
1: SFG? guy? Oh, gosh. SFA guy?
0: He's the Southern Foodways Alliance director. And he's written a lot of books about food, but this he's particularly written a series of four. And one of them is uh, Fried Chicken, Hamburgers, and Apple Pie. And after all those, the subtitle is like like Hamburgers and American Story, Apple yeah. Pie and American Story. Donuts is an American passion. Yeah, it is. That's so this, sure. is, this is a little short book. And I mean, I would recommend them all. I would recommend pretty much anything that John T. writes. He is mm-hmm. an amazing Vocabulary and, and wordsmith, and uh, so if you're into food writing at all, if you want to read about stuff, but th- if you want to read about donuts, this is the book. And it kind of starts off with some history and some stories, and he kind of just travels the country and tries different things and talks mm-hmm. about them. There's some recipes, so it's not like the definitive book on donuts necessarily. It's a short book, mm-hmm. but uh, good reading, and you know I recommend them all. But I just thought it was particularly cool mm-hmm. that the donuts were the passion.
1: And the others were just yeah no, that, stories. That is really cool. It is it is a passion of mine. Uh, so my favorite for this week is the book that I'm currently reading right now, and it is called I think it's a visual theology, theology of the Bible, and it's um, a series by Tim Challies, and I think Josh Briers is the illustrator. But what their kind of focus was is that there's a lot of people in the church who know a little bit about the Bible mm-hmm. or don't know a lot because biblical literacy is horrid in the church right now. But what they realized is that a lot of people are visual learners. So they decided to do something about it. So it's a super scripturally based book that is covered in infographics to help you huh. enforce the thing. So they talked about... So it was like the USA Today of theology. Yeah, kind of. So, but it's, <laughs> Or what it used to be, anyway. Yeah, but it's basically a lot of it's like, why is the Bible considered... Um, Reliable, mm-hmm. and it's like he has this, it's like a three page graphic, and it's like, This is how many copies of the Iliad that we have. And it's like a little dots, and it's like, This is how many manuscripts of Caesar Augustus we have. Da-da-da-da-da. And it's like, This is how many manuscripts of the Bible we have, and it takes two and a half pages because oh, it's like 20 lots of dots. Yeah, it's like 22,000 manuscripts that we have. Wow. And the only difference is like spelling errors between uh-huh. them all. So it's like allows us to see that it's this. And then he talks about why, who Jesus is. And they have infographics to explain it all. So it's, it's a, it's 180 pages, mm-hmm. but it's, it's like, you can put this on your coffee table and it'd be appropriate. Huh. It's like a really interesting book. So it's actually two of them, like the first edition and the second edition. But both are great. Of cool. like a volume one, volume two. Uh kinda they kinda hit the same thing. One's like okay. uh the first one and one's a much more expanded version. Gotcha. But a okay. uh, visual theology. Visual theology.
0: All right. Well thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast and think others might enjoy it too, please share. Uh, give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you found this. And they are Legion. And you can find us on the worldwide interweb at Viddle Vital Pod on Instagram and Twitter. We're Viddles and Vitals Podcast on Facebook. And we'd love to hear from you. If you have an idea of a subject you'd like to hear us cover, shoot us a DM or a voicemail. You know we're listening. And remember, if it's vital, look for the little.